Gaming NBS episode 197 coming to you Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Hope you all are doing well. Sean, things good by you? I took off today. What the hell? I didn't even yeah. know that. Sick days. Yeah. You know, if I'm mentally sick. Or maybe they were sick of your shit and they called you in sick. You ever think Wouldn't that, that be nice <laughs> if your boss called you up and said, stay home, I, you're sick? Stay home, you sick bastard. What? What? No, I mean... You seem sick, you bastard. <laughs> or some theme. Yeah, I could see that. <sighs> I'm hoping next week, next week with 4th of July landing in the middle of the week, that's going to give me opportunity because I'm taking Thursday, Friday, and then the following Monday off. So it'll be nice. Wow. So I'll have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. <gasps> That'll be really cool. It'll be, It'll be fun. So let's just, should we just do announcements? Should we do that? Yeah. Thing? So, GameOcon submissions open. Um, GameOcon.com, as we rant about all year long. Um, everything just starts growing over there. They've got new art they release. If you don't follow them on social media, especially Facebook, where the boys post a lot of stuff, um, follow them there. Follow them on Twitter, where they've got you know the Atiug, which is going to be their stuffed animal. They relist, hey, who's all coming for special guests? There's tons of cool stuff, as usual. And Evercon game submissions are open as well, so evercon.org, and you can help me run my little gaming convention in central Wisconsin this coming January, which will be fun. Um, In other Brett-related news while I'm talking about Evercon. Well, oh, sorry, you got something? A game hole con. Uncle, yeah. Steve, Uncle Steve's coming this year. Oh, that's right. Steve Jackson's coming back. He's going to oh, run Car Wars. He's going to run Car Wars, but he probably won't want us to interact with him, though. I'm thinking of having somebody <laughs> walk up with a camera and just insist on videoing his entire thing, and then having someone ask him questions that we know he can't stand. Yeah. Teehee. <laughs> I'm sure we'll win all kinds of friends from Steve Jack's camp. Yeah, we'll be there for... Alex, what do you mean we're not allowed in anymore? Gee, oh, come on. It was a, jo- a joke. I swear it was a joke. Oh, well. Munchkin Car Wars. <laughs> All right. What was I going? Ah, yes. So the Avalon Kickstarter is indeed still happening. I've had a couple of people ask me about it. It's definitely happening. I'm almost done with my portion of the writing. We've banded it back and forth between Chris Nizak and I and, of course, the other folks at Encoded Design. Sean Merwin, the Mad Wizard himself, is uh, helping me lay some stuff out. He's provided some really good feedback um, from just passing through it, saying, hey, fix this, gamify that, hey, good stuff. But So we've gone back and forth. On that stuff, I should be done this weekend, end of June, and um, so far Kickstarter's looking to be late fall. So late fall, fall. everything falls together. It would be October-ish, is what I'm what we're thinking right now. As I know more, I will let people know, of course, because I'll be super excited and bouncing off the walls like a school kid. So anyway, once I know more, you shall know more. Start putting out some teasers. Yeah, that's the plan. Chris and I were talking a little bit about some. Now that we've got things more solidified, when's the right time to start, you know, dropping more hints and so on and so forth. So hopefully soon. Excellent. Oh, I got my black cube. My uh, Invisible Sun black cube arrived. That's like 27 pounds of stuff, dude. 
it's four hardcover books. The it, it, the mats, the cards, the dice, the punch outs, the handouts. Wow, holy shit! Wow, I I said this on Twitter when I opened it and I was done with it. I'm like, I really need a weekend to to go through this. They give you a nice little handout, which is cool. That says, "Hey, here's the order, the nine step order that they list out." We're like, "Hey, here'd be a good way to digest all of this stuff." And uh, I see no reason to deviate from that suggestion because I have no other way that I think would be any better to read through it. It's going to be pretty intense to just dive into it. And I have purposely ignored 90-plus percent of all the hype around it after the Kickstarter closed. I have not watched any actual plays. I have not read or seen any other unboxings or this, that, or secrets divulged, blah, blah, blah. I've ignored all that stuff because I want as fresh a look at this as possible when it landed. So I'm thinking of trying to do some kind of an unboxing or at least a, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what Brett thinks about it for uh, for the show. What do you think, Sean? Is that worth Yeah. You think, do you think so? All right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody will care. You should get a tripod and put a little camera down and go through that shit. You know, my, my iPhone and my iPad actually have pretty decent cameras. I could actually do those too. Yeah, I could do like multi-angle and, and then and then send you all the video, and make you edit it together. You have multiple iPads and you have multiple kids. I'm not sure where the problem is. That's true. Stand there, AJ. Stand still. Damn it, Alana. Quit bouncing. Got, you got the best tripods ever. Then just stand there and hold this. Stand still, or you're grounded. <laughs> <laughs> if Daddy doesn't look awesome, you're grounded. <laughs> is child labor an issue if it's really not labor? Yeah, it's a labor of love. If you love me, you'd labor like this. <laughs> <laughs> like more of a guilt labor. <laughs> so anyway, this weekend I'm hoping to, well, I'm not hoping to, I will be diving into the Black Cube a little bit deeper, and I will try to get some, see if I can finagle out a way to do some decent video of it. And maybe the Black post it up, Cube. Post it up on the YouTubes. Sean and I were already talking about how if I took it, I made another, like a, because it's, it's cardboard, right? And at some point, the cube itself will get damaged. I was thinking of making one. To house all the components. And there was a, I think we had it in in uh, die roll a while back, but there's that paint or that color that's like the blackest of black. It looks like a portable hole, that deepest of black. It'd be awesome if I could get some of that paint and, and paint a cube that, was, that looked like that. So when you carried it, it looked like you were carrying like a hole in space and time. That'd be neat. Or matte black. Maybe I'll just go with matte black. We'll see what happens. Vanta, anyway. bl- Vanta black. Vanta Black. Oh, Vanta, that's right. That's what it was. Vanta Black. 99.96% right. of the light absorbs. <laughs> it's like that'd be if so you funny. see pictures online, it's like somebody took... If you it looks took like a, it's Photoshopped. It looks like it's fake. Yeah. It looks like somebody look like markered over it. Yeah. It does not look yeah. real at all. No. God, that'd be awesome. Yeah, man. I don't know where Vanta I can find that Vanta Black. Stuff. Heard it's not cheap, though. Probably not. But it's it would pro- totally be worth it for gaming. All. Probably have to have a license to get this shit. <laughs> Vanta Black. Because some, some jackass would paint his car like that and, <laughs> and get hit. Right. In the dark, he wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> exactly. All right. You got any announcements, dude? We good? Uh, I do not have any announcements, and I do think we're good. All right. So, random encounter? Yeah, let's do random encounter. Dookie. So moving forward, for those of you um, that are interested in 
writing us and getting advice. I think Brett and I, we are going to try to incorporate them into the regular show's content. And then we're also going to put Random Encounter on YouTube and have its own segment on YouTube that, but I, I kind of want to go with Random Encounter as a... Like, like a, a playlist? Like a Q&A. Yeah, we'll make it a playlist. It'll only be Random Encounter. We're not gonna oh, full, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what we, you're saying. We won't put full episodes up on YouTube necessarily. So this is kind of announcements of kind of Random Encounter. Fair. So what we'll do is we'll, like for those of you that have a question that you're running into that you want Brett and uh, myself to weigh in on, we're going to put it in the show. It depends on how many we get per week. And then we're also going to make a segment on YouTube that's just random encounters. So if you want to know tips, advice, I mean, even if you just want our opinion on something, like what would you guys say about this? That's, I think, because nobody's going to, I don't think it, the audience on YouTube is going to watch an entire episode of us for an hour on YouTube. Probably not. It's would be really boring, most likely. Yeah, and random encounter can get a little lengthy, but I think it's going to be a good spot where... That's the only thing we're going to offer up there on the YouTube, so I think, moving forward. Okay. Well, if we do something else, like a video, if I am able to sort out how to do <clears throat> Black Correct. Cube or something, we can slap that out there, too. Yes, yeah, special things like guests and special uh, unboxings and reviews. We and... got I got DCC Lankmar coming at some point, too, when that sucker hits. Yeah. So I got a big box full of goodies there, too. Yeah, we're going to do that stuff up on the YouTubes, stuff that may not fit into the regular show, but it's an additional content to include random encounters on on the YouTubes. Slick. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. All right. All right, so having said that, let's kick this sucker off. Preamble over? What do we got? Uh, you want me to start or what? Well, looks like I've got a voicemail. I can't start Oh, that. yes. That's all on you, dude. That's right. I do have a voicemail. Um, Here we go. Uh, hold on a second. Hey, Brett and Sean, Chris Johnson here. You can find me over on YouTube on the Dargon Gaming Squad channel, and I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, really enjoying it. And somehow I'm on a on a loop where I'm listening backwards. I've mentioned this a couple times lately. So I just finished listening to episode 17 about alignment, and it was, it was a really good episode for one thing. Um, and I had a comment. I uh, had some thoughts I wanted to share about um, Sean's uh, comment about um, neutral characters, playing true neutral characters. And the thing, the thing to me, uh, when I think about neutral characters, is I think that has to be a character that is incredibly objective all the time. Like, you better have a party that consists of an odd number of players. You better have three or five or something because this person is never going to be the tiebreaker in any decision because they're always going to be objective. So, hey, you know, should we should we take this forest road on the right or this, you know, mountain road on the left? And the, you know, the neutral character is going to be like, well, if we... You know, if we take the forest road, you know, we might run into some trouble because it's known for having, you know, evil creatures in it, but we'll also be sheltered from the weather, you know, and it's a faster route because it's flat, you know, but if we take the mountain trail, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you can kind of see where I'm going with that. Interestingly enough, it kind of 
playing a character like that, and it could, there could be a place for it, I think. And, you know, what, what got me thinking, it got me thinking about journalists. Like, if your character was essentially a bard, um, you know, that's, or, yeah, if a character's a bard, they're essentially a journalist, right? So they're the ones who are, like, documenting what's going on in the world around them. And they're doing it through songs and stories or whatever. So I could see a bard being like, I don't really care which side wins, because either way, I'm going to get a good story out of it. So, like, I, you know, I, it just got me thinking, and it's something I've never thought about. I always, always, always play neutral good characters. I haven't been in this all that long, and I'm a super, super novice uh, GM. I've only run a couple a couple things, and those not well. Uh, but it really got me thinking about how fun it could be to do it um, and how, you know, how, how what that would look like. So, anyway, that's my two cents worth. Thanks a lot, guys, for all you do. Really enjoy Oh, and I think she got cut off by the timing, so... Thank, Thank you, Chris. Chris. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yes. That's very cool. Very you know, good of you to write or to, to put that together and, and uh And thank you for going back that far in our catalog. That's that's very it's, it's a, very nice of you. Thank high, you very much. That's a high pain threshold there. That's a, <laughs> well, <laughs> we jokingly say evergreen material, yay, for the win. But it is really cool when somebody listens backwards and says, Hey, that was cool. I like the um your description of the the characters being kind of always kind of fact, but well, this is one thing, this is the other thing. It reminds me a lot of what my staff do to me during my day job. Well, Brett, if we did this, here's all the benefits and here's all the negatives. If we do this other thing, here's all the benefits, here's all the negatives. You're the guy, you decide. <laughs> you know, I see that person as being like the ultimate business analyst that shows up, fact-based, requirements, documents, goes, here's this, here's this, you choose, Right. You want to you want to buy HP gear or Dell gear? You want to buy Cisco or do you want to do this other thing? You want to buy this? You want to buy that? You know, whatever. Wow, that would be <laughs> from a fellow party member perspective, it would damn near be annoying. Like, do you ever have any passion? Eh, well, that depends. <laughs> yeah. Here's the benefits for passion. Here's the downside for having passion. Ah, madness. But I do like the idea of a bard being that neutral observer, even in a fantasy setting. I like that. That's pretty cool. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, and I think that there's going to be some latitude with playing neutral characters. I think a lot of people just pick neutral because it's kind of a a way to get out of aligning to an evil or or good, right? They're like, oh, I don't want to be too good, and oh, I could be kind of corrupted, so I can ride that line on the neutral. And you know, most of us let that player character go with it because if they are true neutral, you know, they'd want things to die. They'd yeah, want, be, they'd yeah. want things to live. We talked about that. Yeah, so I mean, um, it's just the wacky it's alignment's the, wacky in general. It is. It is very wacky. It's all. It's like the most philosophical part of goddamn role playing games. I'm guessing for, for at least D and D ish. anyway, good stuff. Yes. You wanna, I'll let you read the next one. All you're, right, you're on a roll. Crim fan comments on 196, run away or surrender. Players rarely retreat and basically never surrender. Any game master writing an adventure, depending on this, is asking for trouble and are pretty much guaranteeing that the players will feel railroaded. 
even in CRPG, capture scenarios really feel forced. In my opinion, a bit uh, part of it is that the norms of the table and various metagame thinking gets in the way. Players expect that there has to be some way out and can't deal with a Kobayashi or Maru situation. All right? So, Kobayashi Maru, Brad, are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. That is the um, Star Trek uh, where Cap- Captain James T. Kirk is the only person who ever beat the Kobayashi Maru, which is an unbeatable scenario, and he beat it by fucking with the programming and cheating. That's right. So every <laughs> you got a commendation for original thinking, if I remember correctly. Right. Every cadet goes through a training scenario, and the Kobayashi Maru is a, supposed to be a no-win scenario, and it's supposed to gauge how that person thinks under that type of situation. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few that's passed it. So, continuing on. They also don't want to sacrifice one of the PCs because they don't want to disappoint the players sitting next to them, even if, even for making a really bad choice like continuing to attack, even if they shouldn't. I've played with groups that were tactically savvy and could pull it off, but mostly they can't, often aided and abetted by the fact that RPG combat is usually turn-based, so you can always count on the Leroy Jenkins type deciding to attack anyway and bust in the plan. I do think GMs can encourage retreat by having monsters run away as an example so that it's a live option in players' minds. This is kind of a real life, actually. An organized retreat is, from what I understand, the most difficult maneuver in combat. I did run a capture scenario, but the way that it worked was the PCs all woke up at roughly the same time from being feeble-minded and had to run. The Slave Lords series module A4 did indeed start in prison. It started at the end of A3 where you where you ought to lose in the fight with five of the Slave Lords. I've also had a few times where I was in game where PCs got captured, but it really, really needs to be handled with care. In my opinion, the game itself would have to be written in a way to encourage retreat and surrender so that it doesn't fight with metagame thinking. For example... In the medieval world, surrender fits in. That was very common. People would surrender and then they'd have to pay ransom. That was an expected part of warfare, so you'd have to set the norm well. As a parting thought, one reason I think people don't, won't surrender is the way that many adversaries have been written. Namely, they are often portrayed as not being surrenderable too. You don't surrender to Sauron. You might be the notorious Raubritter Schwartzbart who is known to keep his deals when he receives his ransom. Interesting. Yes. You know, that is a good point. If you have a bad guy, <clears throat> bad guy, bad lady, bad gal, bad cat, bad whatever, the big bad, and um, they're without mercy. They are the epitome of all that is evil. His henchmen are out there. The henchmen are there. They grab your characters, and they serve a lord or lady who is known to be the epitome of all evil, who destroys and corrupts and mangles and tortures and transmogrifies into vileness. Surrender probably doesn't seem like a really good option to you at that point. He's like, hmm, what could be worse than a slightly painful death in combat? Um, being tortured and turned into a horrible undead monster? Fuck you, fight to the death. You know, I get that. That's a totally good piece. It It is tough. I think, if nothing else from my perspective... Excuse me, as a game master, I think it's important to realize that not any intelligent monster, unless, you know, again, driven by the 
the over goddess who demands nothing but undying loyalty and she will torture anyone who does not fight to the death in combat. Um, goblins will, will surrender. People will try to run away. A route, it may turn into an unorganized retreat or a rear guard action or a retrograde action, but it's not. Uh, it could be a flat-out route. But I could definitely see your cowardly critters, or even your wiser ones, your hobgoblins and stuff, going, oh, fuck all this. We're out of here. You know, There's no reason to not have an escape plan for them, too. I think, it's, I think it's worth doing, if nothing else, just to mix it up. Like many things, there's a time and a place. <laughs> that's true. It's just determining when that time and that place is, uh, presents itself. You know, that's a good point, Sean, because the other piece of it, too, is try it. When it fails, you go, wow, that didn't work out. Okay, I'll try it again some other time. You don't have to keep hammering that nail, right? You, you hit it, it bent. All right, well, try it a different time. You know, but the only way you're going to figure out how it works for you and your group is try it periodically. You have to use a bigger hammer. Bigger hammer. Way bigger hammer. Big. Yes. Huge. Yes. More like a mall. Right. Some sort of a two-handed thing. When hanging a picture, bust out the sledgehammer. <laughs> a 30-pound sledge. I don't see why you wouldn't, really. That's just how we, that's how we do it in my house. That's right. You want to put the nail all the way in. To the to neighbor's the- house. Through your house. <laughs> I want the I want my, the the people in the apartment next door to you. They should they should know what you're up to because they could see the hole through the wall. That's right. Oh Lord, <coughs> good All stuff, right. Crim fan. Thanks, dude. Absolutely. Or do that. Uh, I'm guessing the the Crim fan is male. I could be wrong. I, I believe so. Yeah. Matt Cyberlick emails us and says, "Hello, gents. I've been considering the following in my games as a player and a GM, and would like to hear your opinions. Player skill. What constitutes player skill?" Is it being a good role player, being true to your character, immersing yourself in the world and events? Is it system mastery? Is it tactical and strategic savvy? These are the main skills that I identified. Are there more? The conundrum I have encountered is that the more you attempt to employ tactical and strategic savvy, not just in combat but in all aspects of the game, the more it seems to run at odds with role playing. Therefore, since I value both of these entities, a balance must be struck. Given your experience over the many years gaming systems and evolving gaming tastes, I'd love to hear how you view the balance. If you agree that there is one, uh, also do you have the same opinion as I in the system mastery is something that stands apart as a player skill because it helps execute the game and also inform other aspects of playing skill, playing skillfully. Still loving the podcast? Keep it up. Matt Cyberlick. Huh. You know, I have not... Sean and I will often say something like good players. You know, we'll play, ah, oh, there are no good players. You know, we, we, we get that for a while just for kicks. We'll talk about you know good players, skillful players, and so on. Sean, what are your thoughts on that one? That's interesting. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a terrible thought. It's hard to say because it's it it depends. <laughs> well, go. I said I, it. I, I was I gonna said it. If you would, if you didn't, I was going to because let's say <sighs> let's say you're playing Pathfinder. Or uh, 4E D&D or something along those lines. It's a very crunchy and tactical game. System mastery is also tantamount to tactical and strategic savvy because of how that game functions. So if you understand that that um, that game and you have mastery of the system itself, you can understand how it's supposed to work and so on and so forth. You speed play, and it also bleeds you into the tactical and strategic thinking you need to have because it's very much a minis-on-the-grid type of game. It's hard to play Pathfinder, um, theater of the mind. I've done it. It's hard to do. <laughs> you know, the minis really, really help. I think that system mastery from a player skill perspective, I think is, is good. It doesn't have to be the entire system itself, but at least 
and Sean and I've harped on this before, at least understanding what your character does, right? If you're the cleric, know how the hell clerics get spells, know how the hell they cast spells, healing works, so on and so forth, whatever your, your clerical penchant is. The same with wizards or bards or whatever. Understand your class and what you need to do. And when someone says roll for initiative, you shouldn't look at them and go, which die is that after 10 sessions in? You know, you should have figured that shit out by now. So there is a level of system comprehension slash mastery that I think you should have to be a skillful player. I think I think that makes sense to me. You agree, Sean? I do agree to some point. I I, I wouldn't disagree. You damn right you won't. So I think that skill and player skill, I don't equate that to role playing. Like being a good role player. So if you're a good thespian. I don't think that's player skill. I think it's good that you bring the flavor to the table. Now, some people may argue and disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, being true to your character, maybe. I think that's a pretty decent skill if you're talking about the player. Because we're not talking about in the game. He specifically says player skill. But yeah, I also, well, I mean, yeah, keep going, keep going. But it also depends on the game you're playing. So going to Brett and pointing out the tactical piece then it may, if it is a more tactical-leaning game, then it would require the person, in order to succeed and leverage the rules and op- in, in a way to optimize the situation in their favor, then I would say player skill resides on the system mastery slash tactical strategy piece. But if you hmm. play, say, a OSR-ish type game where there isn't skills, it's not over. It's not. It's not tactical. In there's a piece on the table. You are in this five foot square. In order to get a plus five, I have to move around the person, flank them, and then I have a feat that will allow me to get a plus, an additional plus. Blah 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 blah. In that type of system, then I think that player skill resides in more creativity piece in how to understand the situation and environment that the game master provides you, taking that information and coming up with creative ways to overcome the problem. Yeah, I think you're right. It does, and this is where I was going to say it depends if you didn't, because I agree with you. I think what is the best way to have fun with this gaming system in the, in the group at hand? So if you're gaming with a group that is very old school and insofar as, like you said, no skills or whatever, DCC, right? A newer game, some people have called it clony, but regardless, you still don't have, you don't have a massive list of skills or whatever. So you have to be creative in how you think of things and so on. You don't just say, well, I search and roll my search skill. Um, to really get the most out of that game, you need to understand that. To get the most out of a Pathfinder game, especially Pathfinder Combat, you need to understand the rest of it. Well, hell, even the rest of how skills function and so forth. I think some people would say, and I know certain people in my home group, I was just playing with this last weekend. We're playing Star Wars, by the way, the old D6 version of it. Ooh. It's interesting. I kind of like the system, at least the way the guys are running it. I have no idea if they're running it accurately. The way we're playing it's fun. Anyhow. Um, hey, oh, by the way, guess what I am? I'm the ship's pilot. <laughs> Uh, I am. It's fun. Anyhow, blowing up stuff, it's great. Anywho, um, 
Where the fuck was I going? Anyway, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, so some people would say that getting into character is indeed a player skill because the way that group functions, they want you to be true to your character in some way. Doesn't always necessarily <coughs> excuse me, mean that you're a full-on thespian, like you're really into voices and all that good stuff, but it could be that you're into character. You always play as your character would, and you know, you, you try not to think about the fact that Brett knows what you know a Sith Lord would do in this case. But Brett's character doesn't, so I will act as if I don't understand this. Because that was true to my character. You know, that type of thing could also be um, very similar to, and again, not thespianist, but I, I could see where people would connect that to player skill. I've not sat down and said, at Brett's table, these are the type of players I like. People that do and know and can exhibit these features. I, I've never done that. But I do know when I've talk to every gamer like oh he's a good gamer really oh yeah totally gets in the character oh he knows the rules oh he's really good oh he's a hell of a tactician my god you you know jack the cr by 10 still can't beat him so i know people out there have definitions sometimes not spoken of what they consider a good player so this is an interesting one matt i don't know i don't have the absolute answer for it but i think it's definitely thought-provoking for no other reason than because understanding what you think is a good player as far as what what a skillful player is, what you want to see at your table, I think. Sean's nodding. You agreeing? I agree. All right. It depends on how you define a good, skillful player. All right. Not hmm. a good player. Skillful. Yeah, skillful. Because a good player could be one that shows up and doesn't piss everybody <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah. And What's... they they play they play and they stay in the game. Right. They don't disconnect. They don't futz around with their phone and. Yeah. Right, that could be like they're a good player. I love them. Having, I love having them at the table. Yeah, because they're solid, dependable. They're not the most creative. They're not the craziest person. Right. They're not the wackiest. They always, but hey, they always bring the chips and dip. Man, that's pretty cool. That's right. And they always answer my emails when they can play. That's true. That's yeah. a good player. That may not be a skillful player. Very true. Depending on how you define it, but you know, Matt, I think we might have to keep this one. Put it in the idea hopper. I might have to come back to this one and talk about it a little more in depth one time. But I like he, this. I like the. He thought does here. have a. He does have a postscript in there. Oh, he does. He does. <laughs> Excuse me. P.S. I enjoyed the talk on Cold Shadows, which you might consider waiting until after you have had at least one play session under your belt before discussing. I know that my opinion of some game mechanics has radically changed once I got beyond the screen or was able to actually play. That being said, I like to throw Paranoia as an older RPG with several iterations. I'd love to hear you discuss. Thanks. So good stuff. Very good, yeah. Although I, I hope and I think... And I agree, it'd be nice to like play the game that we talk about. I think that's a no-brainer, but we are no-brainers. We have <laughs> Sometimes. No, we have no-brainers. Um, but I I don't know if necessarily I wanted to put a spin on, the, and I probably did, but I don't want to put a spin on like Cold Shadows rules is a great at-the-game, at-the-table game for espionage because the way we presented the rules was like right out of the book. So... Do they hold up? It's hard to say. You're right. So that's a good point, Matt. Um, and I think I wish... what, what we what we should probably do is when when you play it and run it. Yes. Let's revisit and say, right. hey, we talked about this stuff. What fucking worked? What didn't right. work at the table? Hey, yeah, I tried that. My God, nobody could get it. Nobody could grok this at all. It was really hard. Or wow, it totally bam, bam, bam. We just like you know second skin, man. We got it. and We just rolled. Right. Because I think we have <laughs> we have so many. Like I just said earlier, I've got my Invisible Sun cube behind me here. It's going to be a while before I read the whole thing 
absorb it, and then run it. And it might be, and sometimes you don't want to wait. You want to talk about a thing that you've got because it sounds really cool. Um, so if nothing else, sometimes it's like, hey, this sounds really cool, and I think it's worth, I think it's smart of us to at least come back. If we can't do what Matt's asking here is to come back and say, hey, look, I finally played that thing, and here's how it went. Yeah. Good point, though. Paranoia. I have not played Paranoia I've, since no. high school. Have you I've ever never, played Paranoia? I've never played Paranoia. Oh I bought it. It's for sale. I'm going to sell it. Oh, you the bought the box. Oh, yeah. The latest iteration. I mean, not... I looked it over. It sounds cool. It's not definitely not a campaign, I don't think. I don't know. I've never I always we always played it as somebody wanted to do something off the wall. Right. And somebody crack up Paranoia. It was a hoot. It was fun every time we played it. But I don't think we ever <laughs> It's like, what's the plan? Blam, blam, dead, 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 blam, my new clone, ah, you know, treason, and it just went to hell. Right. It was it was madness every time. It could have also been because, speaking of player skill, that was a long time ago. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. So, interesting, though. I have not I have not read any version of Paranoia forever. I have. I think I kicked in one of the Humble Bundles or the uh, Bundle of Holdings, and I got... God, I think every freaking PDF that ever was for Paranoia. I'm pretty sure edition. I did that at, at some point as well because yeah. I know I've got PDFs of it too. I've picked it up over the years. And then I bought the most recent, which was like a box, white box, and some digest size. Is that type. the one uh, Encoded Designs did some adventure stuff for? They did, I think, like Chris or somebody on those on that staff did something. Yeah. With it. I'm not quite exactly sure what their contribution was, but I know they were involved. Yeah, I know they put on an adventure or something. Oh, cool. that might have been, yeah. So anyway, Matt, good Matt, damn good point. Yes. I think we would want our preference would be to review things we have played. But I think in a case like this it was kind of passionate enough to want to talk about it. And when Sean and I start just we get on the mics, we start, Hey, I got this thing, I start reading, it sounds really cool. I'm like, Hey, let's just <laughs> let's mic it up and talk about it because, you know, why not? Cool. Yeah. If we did everything the right way, we'd you'd be listening to like Ken and Robin or some shit. <laughs> Probably those guys over at over at Misdirected Mark. Probably. Probably. We're, we we like to think of ourselves as the antithesis to the other things. Yeah. I don't know what those other things are. But that's Rebels, uh, angst. Uh. All right. We've got <laughs> one last one. Your turn. All right. A listener emails us, so I run a Pathfinder game with almost all of them being new players, more experienced players having under 20 sessions. While I want to punish some of them for metagaming, I don't want to be too hard on them for fear of them disliking RPGs because of it. How would you go about it? Your friendly neighborhood Viking, Jeff. Or Geoff. I think... If, this might be if I pronounce Jeff, it incorrectly. I think this might be Jeff, who is a friend of VC. Oh, could be a friend sure. of VC Youngs. Could or be. It could not be. <clears throat> could not be. Jeff, he even is and if you Jeff even, or Geoff. Wait, wait, Jeff, you jerk! <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend of mine in high school's name was Jeff, spelled like that. It was. Yeah, I bet you there's a guy out there that pronounces it Geoff. Probably is. There's probably, probably is. some schmuck that is called Cian. Or a scene. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of Sean. That's right. Because there's no fucking H in your name. 
That's right. Hey, man, it's the Irish dude. I, I don't know. know. What are you going to do? With my last name, I just kind of rolled it. <clears throat> so, Sean, what would you do? Would you would you well, just punish them? First things first, get that 30-pound sledge we talked about. you got to introduce them the right way. Look, mother scooters. Here's the deal, kids. Here's the deal. You know how you play Monopoly and you go around the board in a particular fashion? It's always clockwise. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with role-playing games and metagaming. Don't go counterclockwise. Some shit's in, some shit's out. I think it's a fine line. It depends on how the the group gels and if it's kind of the thing. Because sometimes, I mean, growing up, that's kind of what we did. Like, hey, man, you may want to check this. Hey, man, you want to check that. One oh, thing. Hey, hey, lady, don't do not do it that way. I distinctly remember having Game Masters over the years when I was much younger saying, now, now, hang on a second. That's a good idea. Right. I don't know if your character would necessarily know that to act in the world. That's a good point. I'll tell you why. Give me an intelligence check. Give me a skill check to see if that thing you're talking about outside of your character would actually be known to you. We used to joke when I ran uh, 3.5 in Pathfinder for one of our friends. He was a uh, uh, former uh, Force Recon Marine, and he would run the Force Recon Mage. Um, <laughs> every wizard he had was amazing tactical genius of small arms fire, and I mean... He, he, we played D&D, be like, okay, here's how you set a camp, and here's how you do that. I'm like, fuck, dude, what? Your Play background is you. Your character. Your background is, yeah, but I really like magic. Okay, how about how about this? Anyway, um, if you want to ease them into it, Jeff. <coughs> Damn, excuse me. If you want to ease them into it, you can do the, I'm not sure your character would know that. How about when you guys come up with something like that that we, are, that we think is kind of out of characters, out of the game, it's the metagaming approach. Make a skill check. Give me an intelligence. Give me a wisdom check. Something to say, can I take that and translate it from the the real world and down to something that we could actually use in the game? That is a way to kind of get them thinking about that. You could even invoke a penalty to such a test, right? Hey, blah, 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 blah. Well, um, I highly doubt you're, you know, you're, you know, from the <laughs> from the, the free city of Greyhawk. I hardly doubt, believe that thief knows anything about Newtonian physics. So chances are, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a minus something on that roll. Or that's going to be really hard to do because that has no bearing on the setting or whatever it is. So I think that's worth, I think that's worth, um, that's something you dig into too, that way. That, that's a, That's certainly a good approach. You can, I have had people say, "Look, your character doesn't know that you can't do that." Yeah, Doing pretty... that is is very, as jokes aside, that's very heavy handed and heavy tends yeah. to not make people happy. Yeah, it's hard to put the hammer down because the last thing you want to do is tell your players they can't do something when you're trying to get them to do more of probably a lot of other things. Yeah. So it's like, oh, so it's cool if I do this, but not this. Oh, okay, Mister, Mrs. GM. But, uh, so it's, I think Brett's approach is probably the best. Like, hey, you, you know, I don't know if your character would really know that. I'll give you a roll to, to make sure. But, you start yeah. You're starting to teach, you're starting to teach them as new players, like, hey, you're being creative, and that's freaking awesome. I love it. I want to support that. I want to give you something for it. I'll tell you what, give a roll and see what you get, you know. And in D and D in five E, you could say, "I'll let you make a check, but I'm gonna have to give you disadvantage disadvantage because 
it's Newtonian physics and you're a rogue. Or, hey, it's really cool in the Star Wars game, but your character doesn't know that about the Empire. You know that about the Empire. How about we give a check or something along those lines? Again, it's one way to help train them and coach them in the style of play that you're looking to have at your table. Anyway, that's what I would think, Jeff. If uh, anybody else has any other ideas, write in, call in, let us know what you think. Um, I have used that to great effect in the past myself, so I'm hoping such a thing works for you, Jeff. Yeah, and one of the things that actually came up on my Twitter account was that... I'm trying to find it as we speak. Just give me a second, and I'll mumble here. Milwaukee Joe, at Milwaukee Joe. And one of the things at Milwaukee Joe brought up was that he is trying to – he was mentioning how Critical Role, what they do real well is role-playing between player characters. And in his own games, the RP is mostly player to DM. So when players talk to each other, it's meta talk. Okay. What do we want to do? What what do we want to do, etc. Instead of conversing in character, and then he was posing the question: How can I encourage PC to PC RP? So, to touch on Jeff's kind of situation, and even Milwaukee Joe is, if you, so, the question I posed to Milwaukee Joe will, is: Will all members be okay doing a lot of PC to PC convo and character? Right, because if you have <laughs> that kind five of goes to the people, player, that goes to the player skill thing we just talked about, right? Well, it's not if skill. You, well, no, I'm saying though, it it goes to it because some people are not comfortable doing it, right? And some people are like, well, I'll I will do it, and I shall speak in this accent, and this is how I always talk in character. And some people be like, that makes me very uncomfortable, and it's not fun. Correct. Or so, whatever version causes them to be uncomfortable, and not fun. Correct. So my point is, if you have a group of players, and say there's four players at the table. And one is good with either role-playing or getting rid of the meta, and the other three aren't. Or it's just not how they play. It's not their comfort level. It's not a habit Mm. they've been into. They're not really open to changing into what you, the direction you want to go. Then you have a different problem. Yep. Then you're, you're, I have to say it, then you're playing with the wrong people. Quite possibly, yeah. They're not bad people. I'm just saying that if that's what you want. So if I was to play with Brett and and then Brett wants me to role play all the time and I don't want to, it, it's, you know, what are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's pretty it, easy. The brakes are on. Right. <laughs> I think in a case so, like that, it, it's also, if you like the people, you're like, oh, there's one thing. I wish my group would do more of X. Right. And you may well have that group that is not going to do that. Put a gun to their head, bribe them, kidnap their children. Kidnap their dog. They're not going to do it. It's, just, it's not in their nature. It's not a thing they do. It's not how they enjoy gaming. And I think you can you could say, hey, I'd like to try this. Would you guys – I really like this. And when you find out the team doesn't like it, you can say, okay, I can give ground on that. I can I can still play. If you're willing to find a common ground or, or a different version of it, like in this case, my example of I'll let you talk outside of class, but I will let make you come back and make a skill check to invoke – the fact that you know how the Sith Lord operates or that you understand how this works in cold time, excuse me, cold time, cold war time spy stuff. You, you know, I'll, I'll let you make a roll or something. Um, that's the compromise. As opposed to, no, you will do this. 
And um, if you're willing to find a compromise, I think you can sort it out. But to your point, Sean, if the group isn't willing to at least try the compromise, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. All right. All good stuff. Thank you, everybody, for writing in and commenting. It's good. Good, 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 good convo. Absolutely. And if we've missed something, critical piece, somebody's got better uh, better advice or ideas, uh, write in, let us know, call in. We've had some folks in the past throw some really good ideas back at us that we've passed along to listeners. So feel free to continue to do that, folks. Thank you. All right. Let's get into the main topic. All right, Brett. You ready? Ready, man. All right. You ready? So, yeah. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead off. Why the hell is it that when we go to conventions, we run a con game, we play in a convention game, we come out of it and we go, wow, that was great. It was really special. They did this cool thing. Yeah, it was good. It was awesome and so on. And and no one ever comes out of it and says, boy, I really love the way that they played absolutely by the rules and and didn't tweak anything, and there's nothing special about that game. I love the fact that it was as humdrum and normal of a game of Dungeons & Dragons as you could possibly ask for. Three encounters in, it was fine. Dice fell where they may. Everybody died. Oh, well, that's how it goes. Instead, when we get out of a convention game, we always talk about the really cool stuff. Talk about, hey, how we did something special. We did something crazy. I wanted to do something over the top that's not necessarily in the rules, the guy run the travel game said, sure, what the fuck? Give me a roll, man. And bam, it happened. Wasn't that awesome? We have fun. We talk about that stuff. However, however, when I talk about doing that type of thing in home games, regular campaign, I often get flack for that, saying I'm not playing it. Rules is written. I'm not. I should be playing a different game. Um, and then when I actually do force something to happen, I've actually been given a little bit of good good natured ribbing of oh you should let him do that it would have been cool <laughs> so let's talk about this you ready you with me sean does it is this spurred from some other previous um yeah so this is a little bit from the convention. you not having your kids uh from convention doing game. stuff <laughs> so originally from convention game. the other thing is i can't recall i could not find the damn show notes i think i might have actually deleted them and i can't or couldn't find a damn episode it was however I was talking about running a game for my son Aaron and his birthday. And well, I that's said, right. hey, well, the kids wanted to stab the wild boar in the nose. That's right. And I said, there's no cold shots. Yeah, that's right. He's supposed to and uh, one, of our listeners, one of our listeners gave me some good nature. I'm like, dude, let him do that. It's fun. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I could have. But. But then you wouldn't, you wouldn't uphold your reputation as a freaking awesome game master, Brett. Well. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm gonna, uh, there's a lot of different angles to take on this, and I have a really bad feeling we may end up rambling and going in, out, and around more than usual. But the thing that's stuck in my craw right now on this is why the hell is it that kids' games, for example, people will say, oh, if you're going to play D&D with kids, let them do whatever they want. It's more fun for them. But for some reason, adults apparently don't like any fucking fun that isn't written down and by the book. So if I was playing D&D the first time with some kids and even adults. Now let him stab the boar in the nose. Now let him shoot the guy in the eye. Now let him do this crazy thing. It's not a rule. He goes home and plays D&D with somebody else, and they get him in a campaign, and he's going to play the game. And he's like, oh, how come I can't do it? I could do it in Brett's game. Well, it's not in the rules. 
Now the kid hates the game. Right? He's no, not happy he, anymore. Don't hate the don't hate the game, kid. Hate the game master. No, but <laughs> so anyway, let's let's just, I just want to dig into it. So Sean, I'm going to get Brett a shirt that he's going to wear around game hole. We're going to have a bet. We're going to have yeah. a bet, and then <laughs> whoever loses gets to design a shirt that the other one has to wear at game hole con. I already so, know what Brett's is going to be. What is it? Pushover GM. <laughs> oh, you bastard. Pushover GM. Yeah. Always nice. w- always willing to bend. Nice. So, yeah. Sean, when you run a game at a convention, let's say you run Forget About It. You run Hardcore by the Rules, right? Oh, hell no. Why not? It's because I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that seriously your answer? Is that... Is that seriously your answer? It can be sometimes. No, I'm talking I about. Mean, for, I'm talking about. Forget about it. everybody who's played in your forget about a game, and yeah. I shit you not. I've asked them how's the game. Be? Oh my god, it's awesome. Sean was great. Everybody's told me amazing things. Oh, I had a great time. Because I let them do whatever the hell they want, as long as it's not, you know, I'm gonna fly through space or some ungodly bullshit that's contrary to the the spirit of the game and the situation. So in my in a regular game, you're playing a regular mafia game. With me in a campaign, weekly campaign, I can do sure. the exact same things. Uh, you know well, what? Eee, would... There's the brakes. Wait a minute, what was that? <laughs> wow, what was that ungodly noise? <laughs> that's Sean putting the that's Sean putting the brakes on. That's no, scary. no, no. It sounds like there's fun coming for my regular game. <laughs> I don't want fun in my regular game. Fun's for con games. That is a terrible brake effect. I know that's what it felt like when you started talking. God, it hurt was... my soul. There's a reason why Brett is not behind a soundboard. I'm not a fully man. Anyway, would so, you let somebody do the same level of crazy ass shit that they get away with in your con game in your uh, home game? So I think the moral of this whole situation and topic is that people play differently in a con game than they do an ongoing campaign. Why? Why do you game master differently in a con game than you oh, do? Oh, wait your a minute. Game? I don't. I don't know if I necessarily game master differently as much as the players may approach things differently. I think when you're playing a one shot at a camp or on a, I don't know, at a gaming convention, you know most players are more apt to do crazier shit than they are in a campaign. Why, why do you let them do that? You wouldn't do that at home. What do you mean, me? Let them do it? You wouldn't. I have played with you. But it, yeah, yeah. There's it, you guys get ultra conservative when you're in a campaign. So, I don't think it's bad or good. Well, I think it just is. What I'm asking you though is if. Yeah. If someone's in your campaign and they played in your regular weekly game and they played with the same level of intensity and insanity every week or often enough yeah. in your con game, you would let that you'd let that fly. Even if it had nothing even if it was like, well, the rules don't allow that, I'm just gonna do it. I would do it within reason. Okay. I think I would do that in reason at the con, I would do that within reason. At the gaming table. My experience has been that at a con, most players will tend to try to make, I mean, they are, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm more willing to kind of put myself out there. I'm going to, you know, put myself in danger. I'm going to jump from one car to the next. I think some of them will actually do that in a campaign, but many times you're right. I think a game master will squash it. Doc is a perfect example. I mentioned this in an episode prior good game master, oh, yeah. res- respect him, knows the rules like the back of his hand. I wanted to do something. I misinterpreted the rule. I thought it would be cool if I could pull it off. 
but he squashed it with a rule. Mm-hmm. But that's the way he game masters regardless. Like, that's one thing I could say about Doc, is he's going to run a game at— Well, he plays Adventures League, dude. You, don't, gonna, you get a lot of leeway. Well, he's going he's gonna to run a game at home mm-hmm. and a game at Adventures League in a store the same way. Yep. That's just the way he's going to roll. Where me, I'm like, man, rule cool. At, rule, home, rule at, cool. at home and at the con. Yeah. Seriously. Except when Brett wants to do dumb shit. <laughs> like, like I want, when Brett wants I want to, to shoot sit. people in my from my ship with Brett a laser gun. In, God damn it. Brett's sitting in the <laughs> ship. It's sitting there. It's landed. There's no engines. There's nothing on. Brett wants to volley a laser beam. Brett is positive Sean's going to take the <sighs> ship out from behind us because I can see it coming. And Brett and Sean let him do it. Yeah. Shy under, let under, him. Gr- under duress. Wow. A thought, lot of bitching. <laughs> much bitching was had. You could, you could tell, ladies and gentlemen, that I have yet to give up on that and let that go. <laughs> it's a freaking in my, it's under my craw. Let it go. Never! It's that freaking sliver that just I can't pick out of my freaking skin. You know where I'm going with this, right? Is when people go to conventions. Yes. And we run, and we run great games. And people have a really good time. The only games I've ever heard people walk out of a gaming convention that they hated was when, essentially, it was absolutely rules as written, no possibility for the rule of cool, and that being, hey, there's a cool thing, sure, give it a try. Everything has to be 100% by the book, no change, no nothing. Well, there are some game masters that do that. Yes, Yes. I've never, and when I say this, I do not know thousands of people. I'm talking about the people I know, my friends and fellow gamers that I'm familiar with, that I talk to on a regular basis. When they go to game with these people, even people I don't game with regularly, when they game with someone who runs like that, they come back and go, eh, it was all right. Yeah, that he ran run, it. Like, that he, runs it by the rules? Yeah, it's just, uh, whatever. I just think it's very interesting that people put all this energy into making sure that this con game is fucking awesome as a game master. The players show up and want to just fucking ride that character like you stole it. But as soon as your home game comes up, I've seen this myself. Well, all that shit goes out. And like, well, this is the way this game works. If you don't like this game, I guess we should play something else. No, all I wanted to do is a couple cool... I wanted to have a character that was cool like this. Well, I'm sorry, characters can't do that in this game. You'll have to play Savage Worlds. We're not playing Savage Worlds right now. Well, why can't I do this? With the Genesis system. How, how can I? How, why can't I? Because, no, that's just not how this game works. We'll have that fucking fight. We'll have that argument. I've seen it happen. I've been part of that argument. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that all of the fun stuff, the intensity, that cool stuff that happens in a convention game, why doesn't it come back to our table at home? Sean. Because when you're at a con game and you're done after the four hours, you're finished. Your character doesn't typically move on. It's... So what if it, why, why does that matter? They move on. Who cares? So you're done. All five characters lived. Brett, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna. I'll pose this situation to you, buddy. Go are for you it. ready for this? Hit me. If you are ind- independently wealthy, if you are independently wealthy, whatever that is, however that's defined for you, I might not talk to you anymore. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. You keep know going. where I'm going with this. No, no, keep going. Right. On me. So you're independently wealthy. Would mm-hmm. you go to your job tomorrow? No. Okay. So let's say, for example, you did go to your job. Say, you know what? 
I don't I I'm gonna go to work because I don't want to sit around and uh, drink my ties on my yacht. I'm bored. Okay. I'm gonna go to work. How would you you take your situation, knowing that you don't need the job to put food on your table to pay yeah. your bills because mm-hmm. you're already fit. You're already set, man. All your shit's paid for. Yep. What kind of attitude would you have at work? Well, I would never take a job that I wouldn't care about. Well, at that point, kind of these dancing people. No, dancing. I'm not. He's no, I'm not. So you're telling me that a, a player is only going to really play with passion if it doesn't matter? No, I don't think it's only. I don't think they're only going to play. I think that's being too strong. But I do think that there is a mentality that if you go to a con. Not all players do it either, right? No, no, no. Some players no, I'm not will saying sit all. at the table. So I, I, I'm going to say, yeah. I, I'm going to say broad sweeping terms. I don't mean it. So carry on. Right, but I do think there's going to be players that sit at a con game and they're going to play the game at the con, same way they're going to play the game at at the campaign. I think it's just the way the player plays. But I do think that there are some players that will go a little more gonzo at a con game because. Man, that's just their their. They may look at it as it's their time to shine. It may be that, um, oh, I don't know. They want to take a risk that they would normally not do in a campaign because their character would die. And they don't want to die. So where in the saying, con game they could give a shit. So this is um, you're saying this is the one armed bandit versus the prudent four hundred one k investing. <laughs> sure. Was, I guess. So I, what I'm, I guess, and <laughs> I'm totally not saying this right, but I, I, I'm telling you, Brett, if you had everything paid for and you went to work and you handled everything the same freaking way, you're a, you're full of shit. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have this job. First off, I'd have something well, like super laid back and easy. Like, yeah, sure, well, I'll go. I'll go work in a bookstore if I can like books. Yeah. Yeah. But in corporate America, you'd probably more. show up to meetings and you'd be like, you know what? Fuck all this. <laughs> we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, whatever. Don't care. I don't care what the CIO says. So now I I guess I kind of I kind of get that. And maybe where you're going is that because it's free time and because it's fun, if I have a once a week or once a month, whatever my engagement is with my gaming group, if I show up and I play every game like I stole it, <laughs> that might not be conducive for long-term gain. I have another theory. What? Maybe I'm just that game master that people like to have really, really fun with when they're at a table. I've played with you, man. I just don't see it. Well, see, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm that's the rub, kidding. right? I'm actually kidding. That's the rub. I don't know. So the other thing... So I don't want to name names everybody because it just it, I don't want to offend or hurt people. But I have had people... Call them out, man. Call them I, out, dude. Call no, them on the floor. No, I'm not doing that. Do it, Brett. Do it. I've had people tell me that... Um. This game, blah, 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 blah. I like it because, um, or I like doing this game because I like the procedures or I like the way that this game, the rule set behind this or whatever it is. I'm like, okay, that's great. Well, I like this other game. Ah, eh, it's not as good as this one. Well, I just, I can do the same thing with this game. Well, you're not playing the right game. You should try to play this game instead because this one does that other thing better. And I'm not just picking, I'm not picking on Sneezak because I know Chris and the guys over at Mr. Director will say, play better games, damn it. Whatever. Shit. But. What's that? Oh, I was going to say, you blanked out. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> it's okay. So, anyway, I'm not, what I was saying was I'm not trying to pick on misdirected mark guys, because I know they say, you know, play better games, damn it. That's a shtick. That's the oh. thing that they talk about. But what I'm saying is it's very, it's interesting when I've talked to people who believe that very, very truly. 
Like, this game really helps me do X really, really well. Well, I don't think that's a bad argument. No, it is not a bad argument. I think it's very valid at times, which is – and the, this is the – However, then, this they is go to a, then we go to a convention game. The same person goes to a convention game, <laughs> yeah. plays another game yeah. where the rules are thrown to the wind for the sake of getting the right feeling and having the best amount of fun and really digging into this emotional bleed. And they have a great fucking time. Right. Why is – how is that better? Or why is that – I don't understand. How can you have both of those things and tell me that was amazingly cool fun, but on the flip side, you're going to tell me that the game I'm running doesn't do what I want it to do. Facilitate. So therefore I should, I should, I, it doesn't facilitate appropriately, so I need to do something else. Because I it think... It baffles me. I think the one th- reason is because people complain. They'll be like, man, I don't get to do cool shit. Or I don't, I don't understand... Why I can't do X or Y. And sometimes it's the person running the game. Could be. Could be the group Some, they're with, yeah. Right? And and so when people say, hey, you're playing the wrong game, right? You should play Feng Shui. Because that lets you do all kinds of crazy shit. Like, that's the mode of the game. That's, it's like playing a video game, man. You play Myst. So anybody that's ever played Myst, you, you, it's like you go into different rooms and it's all a big bunch of puzzles and you unlock shit, right? Never played that game. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of Myst, yeah. Yeah, it's great graphics. It's very like you're on an island, I guess. I think it's an island and you're going through rooms and you're like, oh, I'm at a piano and you have to figure out. It's like a video escape room. That would drive me fucking bananas. Well, and that's okay, right? You don't like that shit. <laughs> no. Nope. But then again, if you're playing Unreal Tournament, or a first-person shooter, or Skyrim. Then I get motion pl- sick. I can't play those. <laughs> You're probably playing those for a particular reason, though. So that would be the argument of, you're probably playing the wrong game, so stop complaining and play a different game. Or you have a game master that may be running, maybe it's D&D, so everybody can play D&D differently. Yes. So one may say, uh, there's, I'm going to run a campaign, and it's all going to be Game of Thrones, but there's not going to be any combat. It's all going to be politically, po- politicking and scheming, and mm-hmm. it's going to be notes and letters, and it's a, a role-playing game of diplomacy. And then when I say that, oh, I'm using D&D for that, I'm, I will be told by certain people, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's dumb. You should play this other game. It's better for that. Which may be the case. However, I'm approaching, may... I'm approaching this game the same way I would a convention game. That the same person would go to a convention game and have a really great time playing a game that didn't follow every rule and actually took the thing and did something wacky with it. And they're okay with that. There may be a person at the table that doesn't like that at all. You Fair. may have, On the flip side, you may have four players and two of them are like what you're saying and then the other two may be like, that guy doesn't know his rules. Man, it's all effed up. He didn't... You know, they couldn't do half the shit if they if he ran the game correct correctly. I don't I've never met that person. I'm positive you're right. And as this, I tried to caveat this earlier. I've not met that person who's had that opinion of any convention game. And maybe they've met that person, they just haven't told it to me that way. They've just never said those words anything like that. But I've never been told by somebody that game sucked because the game master, he or she didn't Follow the proper grappling rules, or whatever. So that may be true, but I gave I've gave this in a, given this example before. One of my first Call of Cthulhu games that I actually played in, Royce 
Thigpen was running. Royce is part of Game Hall. Yep. He played it on a game day. He was running it. And one of the guys, we put out the sheets. They're all pre-gens. And everybody was like, I'll take this one, take that one, I'll take this one. And everybody, you know, they were all your kind of stereotypical Call of Cthulhu characters. You know, there mm-hmm. was the... Mm-hmm. Um, there's the female researcher. There was a big, rich, well-to-do, wealthy person. Dilettante, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And then there was, like, some muscle guy, maybe the cop, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what happened was the guy who chose the Richie Rich person character mm-hmm. played him as though he was the, the muscle thug of the group. So he picked him and was like, making all these decisions based on being a thug when I'm like, dude, you're role playing the, the, your character wrong. You, you picked the wrong guy to play. You're not that guy. You're the rich guy who sits around and kind of dictates what people need to do. And you shove money all over the place. You're not the person that's going to be breaking in doors and all this other bullshit. So it's kind of like, well, is that the same thing of what we're talking about? Kind of. I mean, I would leave that table and be like, it was okay. It was good. I had a great time. But I, we had one person that wasn't, like, quote-unquote playing right. So people are probably right now be like, fuck you, Sean. You know, you know. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean playing right? But I think <coughs> excuse me. otherwise, me as the thug cop who is supposed to do that crap kind of gets left out because that's the strength I bring to the table. Well, I'm like, he hey. He invaded your niche, that bastard. Well, I mean, I'm not research. I'm, the cop doesn't do research. No, I hear you. No, I'm, I'm with you. That's what researcher woman does. So- I guess. Let's maybe attack. Let all, me attack this. We're all over t- the place. I told you. We, I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> Everyone who started listening from here on in, they knew this was dangerous. They were warned up front. Um, so let me take a let's let's throw that aside because I don't think we're going to get anywhere with that. Um, what have you? Do you do anything that you learn in a convention game that you bring back to your regular game or pieces from your regular game that you make sure go to conventions? Right, because. It feels so. Maybe this is where I'm coming from. Everybody talks about they want to make sure the convention game is the most fun possible, right? And I don't often hear that when people are talking about their regular campaign. They're not trying to design it, prep it, write it, think about it, saying, How would this be the most possible fun for everybody every week? And I'm wondering why we don't approach our regular game. With a similar point of view. With with vigor? Yeah. Vigor! Maybe that's what maybe that's what's bothering me more. Well, I think Because okay. when we talk when we talk about regular game, we talk all about how proper planning and proper pacing and proper this, proper that. Right. There's something to be said for making sure that it is maximum fun. Because we're here to have fun. Now granted, maybe that's somebody's version of fun, but maybe that's where you're going. I'll shut up. You talk. So the, in order to do that, to do this this discussion correctly and just, justice. We should have started differently. We should have probably started completely. <laughs> we should have started where I'm about to start right now, which is what's the, difference, Possible. what's the difference between a con game and a campaign? Oh. Right? So if you look at that, the, the differences between the two, you're probably hit on a few that are going to tell you the reason why a con game is going to have different results than a campaign one of them is going to be so i'll just cut to one one certain reason is because when you're on a campaign it's going to be you could be playing multiple sessions yes those sessions could be two to 
eight hours. Some play 12 hours. Yep. Done Crazy, it. Yep. right? Some of those may have different, um, what is it, ups and downs. What do they do? What are they? Arcs, rolls, things, uh, yeah. They're the, the beats. Beats and, yes. Beats and things. And... Down beats, up beats, all that yep. stuff, right? So when you're in a campaign, those beats and uh, down beats, up beats, whatever, they could end up being, I mean, you could have a downbeat that lasts longer hours in your session. And then the upbeat comes, and then it lasts a certain amount of time. Where a con game is fixed, it's usually four to six hours. So you're going to have to combine probably more stuff into one session. It's going to have to have a, a you know, beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And in there, you're going to probably want some action, some role play, right? Some dialogue. Where in a campaign, you could have that shit, sure, but it may not be at the same pace that you're you're defining into a con game. You're crunching all that crap in there, man. It's like you're putting all kinds of goodies in a little, little package, Brett. And then when you open it up, it pops up in your face. You just can't do that every week, huh? Well, campaigns, it may be a different story, man. You come into a different plot line. You come into a different part of the story. So if... If you're writing a, a novella, it's shorter and you want to do crazy shit in the novella, or you're going to go full-fledged Game of Thrones, 800 pages, 1,000, 1,200 pages of stuff. I'd actually write something decent. <laughs> I don't like Game of Thrones. Anyway, I get what you're saying. So I just think that there is a... I just think in that specific kind of approach or that difference between the two in and of itself can be a major factor in whether your con game is, holy shit, it was so freaking great, versus a campaign. I think the campaign's so freaking great, but it may take you months to get, like, the whole thing combined over months. You're going to have a session that was like, oh, that session was so freaking great. The next one may not be. It's like a con game. One con game was great, the next one just was eh. That may be, but it may not be the same one. Okay. In a, in a con game, I'm running the same thing probably over and over. Hmm. Right? I'm running forget about it every time I probably go to a con. Yeah. I, I would be surprised that every time I ran it, everybody would leave with the same reaction group to group. You've run it three times since I've known you and I've never had anybody complain. At least well, not my face. you know, Brett, hey, I mean. I do threaten them. No, I'm kidding. You know, it's sometimes it just it's uh, you know it's just that little pizzazz. It's just like you know that little that little flair, man. That little he, like Sinatra, man. You go see Sinatra; he's always great. <laughs> he's dead. He doesn't do much of anything. Yeah, but he's blue eyes, man. Big blue eyes. All right. Hmm. But Elvis, mm-hmm. he probably had some bad nights. Possible. Does that make any sense? It does a little bit. No, it All right, makes it about ladies as much and gentlemen, as... thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll tune in next time. I think part of it is um, maybe part of what you're saying is ringing to me with the. I think sometimes in our campaign play, we focus so much on the things that didn't go quite right, and we agonize on making sure that it's all strung together. 
that everything absolutely carries over from one to the other. We try to make it as flawless as possible. When in fact, at the end of the day, as long as a campaign as a whole, as you said, works, nobody sits down, I shouldn't say nobody, folks probably do not sit down and say, wow, it was really good, except for those five sessions, uh, that 100-session campaign. Those five, Sean, it's just they kind of wrecked the whole thing. And they could have because Sean might have been in a funk. Correct. But right? out, of all, out of the entire campaign, people say, you know what, we had a couple of rough spots, but man, overall, that was an awesome campaign. That was fun. Right? And I think when we play our con games, everybody, game masters, players included, who are really having a good time, ones that I see, the ones I've encountered, the people I've talked to, who really have fun, are more forgiving. Like, hey, that wasn't, that session wasn't, that con game wasn't 100% Savage Worlds because he did something that was a little D&D. But you know what? That's okay because it made that session work. Uh, John Arcadian runs his Taras game. I played it. Other people have. He has a fate die that he uses to help do a randomizer. There's no fate die in D&D, but he uses it. There's no rule in D&D for using a fate die. There's no rule in the Tarask book for using a fate die. I have the Tarask book, <clears throat> but John uses it. It works fine. I've talked to a number of people who played that. I've never been like, well, it's a pretty good D&D game except for that fucking fate die. Nobody says that. There's a level of forgiveness that everybody brings to that con game because they want to have a damn good time, right? And even in your campaign, I want to experience the ups and downs. I want to go through a downbeat. I want to deal with the fact that our characters just went through hell and we got to figure out how we're going to climb out of it. And maybe dealing through that hell, we didn't quite use the you know, did they catch us mechanic. Maybe we didn't quite. Maybe we skipped over that because we thought at this point it made sense to to skip that piece of it. I think sometimes in our campaigns, our home game, our regular game, there's a level of forgiveness that we don't give ourselves as either players or game masters. Maybe it's not. It's not even a mistakes thing. It's like in the moment, at this time, at this second, while we're doing this thing. It's okay that it's not perfect, right? <clears throat> it's okay. You can walk away from it. It was fine. You had a good con game. Yeah, it was all right. The one guy didn't really want to get in character. Yeah, but we still had a good time, though. You still put the best face on. You go on the next game. You go to the next game. Very rarely do you, do you get that, that game like my buddy Alpha did a game hole a number of years ago where the game master was abysmal. <laughs> and at one point, all five people at the table viewed it as a trial of adulthood to get through this six hours of Pendragon. It was a trial. It was a trial that would be, that would be fought and won. Does that make sense, Sean? It, maybe, it's, maybe it's more about we come to the con game, we're all willing to, to go and just go with it. And it's, yeah, it wasn't perfect in the rules perspective. Or, oh, this one thing uh, didn't quite make sense, but in the moment it worked. And I, th- I think maybe that's the piece that the con games have. That when I even find myself doing it in my home games, where I'm not being that forgiving with my home, my regular game, as I should be, because it works in my con game, and that's a piece I think I could take home. Does that make sense? I do think it makes sense, yeah. Well, I that do. would have been a faster conversation, wouldn't it? I know. Yep, that makes sense, Brett. I had to get all worked up in the beginning. It's a fire. Bastards. Fuck shit. Damn. Well, there I, we there's something to be said about not playing with the people that you always play with, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, you Absolutely. Know. Like, if there's this level of expectations when Brett sits at the table and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's that playing, happens. He's playing a pilot again. Oh, Christ, he's in the ship. God. He's in the fucking ship. 
Oh, look at him shooting the guns. That's <laughs> a uh, nah, this actually this time I didn't shoot anybody on the ground. I blew up other I blew up other ships with my well, ship. Well, that's good because that's kind of what you do with ships, Brett. I'm I'm learning, Sean. I'm I'm just I'm changing, changing baby steps. Baby steps. Still, but does therapy. that make sense? Though? Still in therapy over this. <laughs> does that make sense though about the con game? I think maybe I do. Yeah. I think after I got all this vitriolic crap off my chest, I think that's the piece of it. Honestly, for me, is as we've talked about it and what you said. I'm pulling that piece out of it, saying, you know, there's a level of, not necessarily Gonzo, but there's a level of all-in and a willingness to accept something that isn't 100%. Like, that's okay. It works. We'll go with it. But I think we need to take that more often back, and I'm saying we, including myself, heavily in there, um, back to our regular game, our regular home game, and say, you know what? That's okay. It was all right that it was a little off. It was all right that it was not even just a mistakes perspective, but don't judge. I mean, what do I say this? We try to make this, was that con game fun? Unless it was abysmal failure, everybody says usually says they had a pretty good time. And I think that's a, that perspective and that forgiveness component is something that we should start to take from our con games if we're not already doing it and make sure that we consciously pull that into our regular game more often. There, that's all I got. I'm done now. I wasted everybody's evening. That sounds great. <laughs> Sean just glaring at me now. No, man, it's all good, dude. I think I think that we should leave it right there. Yeah, let's leave it right there. All right. All right. If you have any concept of what the hell we just talked about, or if you think you could put a better point on what we thought we just talked about, write in and let us know. Call us. Tell us. Or if you think we should never talk about this again, let us know about that too. All right, that's the signal for some die roll. Yes, it is. Brett has zero. I have nothing. I, I just as before. That's okay. Too much passion up there. Sorry. Uh, I have one review of Midgard campaign setting done by Quasar Knight from Twitter. Um, I think he goes by a different handle on RPG Net. But if you want to know about Midgard campaign setting, I uh, he, he or she did a pretty uh, comprehensive review. You may want to check that out if you want to know more about that. Then we have four from listeners. Brett, you want to knock? We'll go every other. Yeah, Edwin Eggy has the City of Brass Epic Adventure for 5e and Swords and Wizardry Kickstarter. I believe Edwin's personally involved in that Kickstarter as well. He did mention that, yes. <clears throat> so, Frog God is, Games. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And Frog God puts out some damn good stuff. Damn good stuff. And Edwin's a stand-up dude. So, hey, thank you for bringing it to our attention, Edwin. Good to know. And a link in the show notes to that one. Christopher Gray links to a microbiologist rundown on Twitter of lobsters, which is interesting. Immortal monsters. <laughs> Immortal monsters. Like, they got this kind of chemical makeup in there that allows them to, like, defy age. Maybe that's the thing that makes them taste so good. Yum. Drawn <laughs> butter. Eating cockroaches of the ocean, man. Who would have thought? That's like I told my kids one time. I said, these are water bugs. What? I said, crabs and lobsters are basically big underwater bugs. That's what they are. I wonder if tarantulas taste like that. Of course, it grosses my kids out, but I'm thinking. Well, I then, try to eat a tarantula sometime. Yeah, tarantulas got fuzz. Yeah, but you boil that off. Well, that's true. I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Gray. Shane Freeman, um... Improved initiative DMs, think outside traditional templates. Orcs can be vampires too, you know. Uh, blog entry by uh, Neil um, Lith- Litherand. 
by Neil Lithrand. Uh, so link to the blog entry there that Sheen posted over to us. So kind of goes kind of goes back to our monster change, tweaking the monsters. Exactly. I, I love these types of things. This is one of the cool things about the internet, right? So anybody who was a gamer when the internet came out, like we were, we're like, hey, wow, this is the thing that everybody does now. The first thing gamers started doing is. Bet you I can find Dungeons and Dragons out there. <laughs> we started looking at places to post our shit. So there's some really cool stuff out there. Thank you, Shane. I just I was looking at this one. I can never I can never pronounce Neil's last name correctly, obviously, but I like the blog entry, so that's good stuff. Stephen Dragonspawn posts a link to Terry Larch's article on Freak Lore, which is entitled Behold the Fairy Stones of Virginia. It's got a little little lore to it. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Fairy stones. Fae are one of those cool fairies and fae creatures and all that stuff. It's one of the, those things that if you want to mess with monsters and stuff, read any like actual folklore about them and then take that and add it into your D&D. Because there's some of it in there or whatever your fantasy um, system of choice or even your sci-fi piece. Take a piece of that and introduce it because some of that shit is freaky as hell. <laughs> pretty good stuff so what are you talking about next week brett man i'm just so frustrated about today i don't even know i'm not even sure well i don't even know what to do there you have it ladies and gentlemen we might have to talk about players for a little bit oh i'm thinking maybe talking about players maybe player skill as we were talked about earlier mm. but i'm also thinking of revitalizing our uh our player series got a couple ideas about that i'm gonna bounce them off sean we'll see what we come up with i think we'll focus on players though well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode of Gaming and BS. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrester Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Billodo, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tsaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, J V, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Short, Stephen Dragon Spawn, Aonagus, Roll for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Kevin Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bonds, Palladian, and Ron Blessing. On ways to support the show, head over to gamingbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.